welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 113. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm not your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter. I'm his co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey, usually to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Wait a minute. I know what you're thinking. Where in the world is that John White guy? Well, you don't have to look for him like Carmen Sandiego because John just had to step away for a few weeks. He's house hunting and he really needs to focus on that. It actually reminded me of a previous episode we made, episode 68, When Life Disrupts Your Work-Life Balance. Uh, I would go back and listen to that one if you haven't. And John, if you're listening, I would say that's a good one for you to listen to as well. But I want you to know, everybody, the journey will continue and I'll do my best to bring the wonderful, meaningful lessons from the John White School of Mentoring to all of you so we can all get better in our careers. So what's on tap for this week? Well, it's a part one of a two-part interview with Brad Christian. He's a solution engineering manager in the networking and security business unit at VMware. And I wanted Brad to come on the show because I think you'll see he has a lot of interesting experience from the time he got into the technology industry up until he became a manager. And he got super deep in the tech. Now, as you hear about the different career stories, at least in this episode, you're going to find that he continually went through circumstances that made him more and more humble. That's the theme I saw as I listened back to it, doing some editing and notes. And you'll also see some early signs of leadership potential as well. I'm not going to spoil it for you. So let's get to part one of our interview with Brad Christian. Christian, welcome to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Well, thank you so much. Happy to be here. Great. Can you tell us uh, what it is that you do right now, um, what your title is, and what your current role is? Sure. I'm an SE manager, an SEM, and I work in the networking and security uh, field sales unit at VMware. So uh, I manage a team of systems engineers, and we're responsible for NSX, uh, Avi, the, the load balancing solution as well as VeloCloud. So uh, focused a lot on networking and security. Awesome, awesome. I think that it might be interesting to hear kind of your career journey, like how you got here. Cause I, I can't imagine that you were born fully formed as, a, as an SE manager, right? So uh, how, how did you get into the technology industry in the first place? Yeah, so I'm originally from El Paso, Texas. Uh, if, if you're familiar with Texas at all, El Paso is on the far west side of the state, and it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, I, when I started in college, I started uh, hanging out with a variety of uh, people that were getting into you know, gaming and that kind of thing. So I just uh, started building uh, boxes for gaming. That's really what got me into it. And um, 
I fell into a job as a as a webmaster back when that was an actual job title. So you know, I built a bunch of cheesy websites, right? And uh, was doing Perl and you know all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I really liked that kind of work because um, it was like a big puzzle. Um, and so fast forward a couple of years, uh, the Y two K thing happened. I'd been getting into Linux. Um, I, I had gotten far enough along, I, I had to get out of El Paso. There just was not enough um, tech going on. So I moved to the Big D, so came out to Dallas. Um, but, you know, I, I am a El Pasoan at heart, um, you know, so I'm used to living on the border and the desert and all that kind of stuff. So I, I miss it a lot. But uh, out here in Dallas, um, you know, just started at the bottom and worked my way up. Um, I had all kinds of jobs. Can I ask what kind of, um, was it difficult to change locations? Like I, I know that a lot of times that's a big like mental block for people to go, Oh, you know, I need to leave this city in order to advance my career. Sometimes people, you know, it's just really scary. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it helped that my brothers were out here. Um, the family thing always helps. Um, so I, I slept on a cot in my brother's apartment for a month while I job hunted. And I'd, I went through all sorts of stuff, showed up, you know, in my cheap suit and, <laughs> you know, uh, got rejected a bunch and then um, got a job at a marketing company. Um, that was actually hugely helpful for my career. Um, and strangely enough, I was the only heterosexual in the company. Um, that was a huge learning experience for me. Um, had to get along with different types of people. Um, and they were, uh, not only were there a, a very diverse and, and inclusive you know, people, and this was like in 2000, um, they were all artists and uh, creative types. So um, learned a lot about you know, not losing your temper and, and slowing down and trying to see other people's point of view in the creative process. So that's, I learned a lot. Uh, doing that. So that was that was a cool job and that was a great introduction to Dallas. Um, then I floated around a little bit. Um, actually got fired um, and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, I was working at the Dallas Stars, the hockey team, and I had, you ever seen that SNL skit where uh, the guy would be able to move and he would push the user out of the way? Absolutely. I kind of had that going on. Um, you know, when I, I was impatient with users and I eventually and I wasn't working well with the team because, uh, you know, the, we were really spread thin. And so um, anyways, getting fired it made me get my ego in check and realize what I'd been doing wrong. Um, so I don't think I would have gotten where I'm at right now if I had not had that ego crushing experience of getting canned um, and, and learning to put my ego in check. It doesn't matter if you're smart, if you're a jerk. <laughs> and how did you take that at the time? I imagine it was quite challenging. Oh, it was horrible. Oh yeah. I was hitting punching bags and drinking too much and I was furious for weeks, but you know, I got over it um, and realized, yeah, Hey, I, they probably did it for a reason. I mean, part of it is if you, you have to realize as, as you progress in your career that the company you work for, what it does um, affects how they treat their employees. Working for a professional sports team, they use people. It's human capital. And, and, and once they've kind of used you up, 
um, you know, you're gone. Um, I worked every single home game for the Dallas Stars in a season. So when you're working for a professional hockey team, what I'm hearing is that um, you can't act the way that hockey players act on the ice. So it's like, you know, if they're if if the team is, is not respecting you, you can't just you can't just uh, drop the mouse and and bear uh, square up and start punching. <laughs> That's it. The other thing I learned is, man, do those guys smoke a lot of cigarettes? And they have the best cardio in the world. That always blew me away. Oh, that's crazy. It would just chain smoke and then go out there and skate for hours. It was amazing. Well, it sounds like they just aren't uh, implementing things like the penalty box for their employees, which I don't understand why. But... <laughs> yeah, sorry, the networking team. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to do your job with a man down. <laughs> so after after that gig, um, uh, I did some contract work, um, which was interesting. Um, just got involved in some DR projects and that, that helped later on, but you know, like little three month and six month things. Um, but then I, I finally got a, a, somewhere I could really stay for a while. And that was Dallas County. Um, so Dallas County is the 11th largest County in the U S. Uh, most people don't realize that counties, uh, at, from an IT perspective and just size, they're, they're much larger than cities, um, as far as what they have in their data center. So the city may have the police, but the county has the sheriff, the courts, the, you know, all the judges, um, the jail, right? So I, I'll, I'll tell you one uh, IT story. At, the, at this time, this was like, gosh, oh, six, somewhere around there. And um, they were still on Novell, so <laughs> we, uh, we were moving to Active Directory. Um, but the web filtering wasn't working, and the prison guards had figured out if you install the AOL disk, that it would get you around the web content filter, and they could go watch porn instead of the prisoners. Um, That's so not good. I actually got all the web content filtering working, and they ended up perp walking a guy out of the jail and firing him, which I was like, I had to make sure nobody knew who I was. <laughs> but that, that was wild. That was my... Um, first real job I was there for you know four years or so um and that's where I got my my hands on my first real SAN um so they had symmetrics you know basically the whole EMC lineup they had one of each just about um so the old Clarion stuff um and I got my hands on you know first big you know rack mount server farm so I had I think um the team I was with we had gosh, I think 30 racks in there. Um, so it was a, it was a good size shop and I, I learned a ton while I was there. Um, you know, I, um, had learned how to work with consultants, which at first I didn't like him at all because, you know, they'd come in and, and mess with my baby. Um, and what I would say at the time is they're like pigeons. They fly in crap all over everything and leave. Um, <laughs> that, that's how I considered consultants, but I, I actually worked with some really good ones. There's a guy here in Dallas, um, who's awesome. Jake Bays at the time when Jake came in to help us with our Novelda AD, um, setup, I hated him, <laughs> but, but after working with him, um, I, you know, I got over that and, and, and started getting along with him. He's, he's a great guy and I still bump into him from time to time. Um, so understanding that there was a, a world of consultants out there and value-added resellers, um, and that maybe there was more to IT than just working for a brick-and-mortar company, um, 
I learned a lot at that point. Um, hey, there's options out there. How about that that transition from contractor to working direct? Like, were there any skills that you picked up working as a contractor? Um, did you have an opinion on staying that long term versus uh, you know going career you know direct for a company or organization? So when I did the contractor thing, I did learn a ton from the people I was around, especially the project managers and the people that were managing the contractors. But the the one thing I learned after that was I don't want to be a con. I don't want to be a contractor. Consulting's one thing. Being a contractor, you know, where you're just there for three, six months, something like that. I, it just didn't feel like I had any ownership. Um, and if you're passionate about what you do, I, dang it, I want this stuff to work. Um, so it just didn't feel like I was there long enough, um, really. So I, when when I went to Dallas County, I I liked it because. You know, there were, I was taking ownership, and I was with a team, and everybody was passionate about what we were doing. Um, you know, and I probably put in too many hours. That's probably at most jobs I have, I've put in too many hours. But, you know, you get passionate about it. And, and the mission of, you know, of a county government, I mean, you're out there helping a lot of people. So it's I it's can cool. certainly sympathize with the attitude you mentioned toward consultants. I don't know what it is. It's it's not only I don't want you to mess up my stuff, but I think there's this semi-narcissistic, I can do this and I don't need someone else's help to figure it out. You, you want to be able to do it yourself and say you did it yourself without someone else's help so that it gets you to that next level. And then, if, you know, if you have to collaborate with someone else or, or take their help, it just kind of, it humbles you. It does, but I, the one thing I finally figured out um, after going through a lot of consultants was if I would just shut up and watch them work and get them talking, I learned a ton because I, I just learn a lot more talking and listening to smart people talk than I do reading books. And I was, I was considered my, how much I read to be my kind of my superpower, um, but shutting up and listening to them talk and their experience. I, I just learned a ton. It's what got me into working on VMware products. Yeah. You can learn so much from consultants, from people in support just by picking their brain. Hey, what do you think about this? Yes. Why are you doing it like that? Tell me how that works. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that one of the things that I learned was that there are things that I don't want to be an expert at. Um, so having a consultant like own that part of my project you know, whatever it is, you know, like my print landscape, my active directory, um, you know, things like that. Like, I, I think at the time I just, I was like, I, there's too much stuff to know and I don't care about that, you know? So bringing in somebody who can own it on a consultative basis, you know, um, is just super valuable and it frees me up to do the things that I'm super passionate about and interested in. Or you can't go deep enough as is needed because the scope of the project is massive and you've never done thing X, Y, or Z. Yeah. And I, I hit that point where I pretty much, was I going to be a storage guy or was I going to start doing all this VMware stuff? And, um, I, it seemed like the storage stuff was more money in the long run. You know, like oh, it'll always be there. It'll never change. Um, you know, whereas the, the VMware stuff was a little bit, you know, a little bit more scary. Uh, a little bit more tenuous, but I, I picked the VMware stuff and I'm, I'm sure glad I did, but I, you know, I'm still good at storage and all that, but,
but that definitely became a focus. Um, and, I, and I realized I'd, I had to let go of the storage, and, and one of the guys on my team was awesome at it, was knocking out all the certs. So, yeah, same, same thing here. You just got to let, let it go. Not an easy thing to do. So why did I leave Dallas County is actually a really funny story. Um, we had a flood. So a water main broke in downtown Dallas. It was the fault of the city. And I was at the t- we worked in the records building. And the records building, the basement was filled with paper. And it also had very old electrical conduits that were made out of um, fiber. Uh, you know, like wicks, giant wicks, basically. So this, the basement filled with water, rotted all the paper in August heat, and then climbed the electrical stuff all the way up to the fifth floor, and it blew out where the data center was. So we were completely without power. So I got that call at 1 in the morning that nobody wants to get, and we had just completely lost power. And um, it, it was at this. People couldn't get out of jail. It almost immediately became a civil rights issue. So we had to haul it down there and, and figure out how to get all this stuff up so we could turn on the adult information system so that we could discharge people from prison on time. Um, so it was a huge deal. And then everything was so old about the, infra- the electrical infrastructure, not the IT. Um, basically, we had to, workers would come in and we would turn everything on, turn on the SAN, turn on the symmetrics, turn on all this stuff get everything working, bring everything up in the correct order, let everybody get out of jail or in jail, and then shut everything back down again. And that went on for a month. Uh, we were, there was no air conditioning, and we were in wife beaters um, and safety boots, basically climbing the stairs every morning uh, up to the fifth floor to go work on that stuff. That's when I started to really understand disaster recovery. Um, later on, when I learned SRM, I was like, you mean we could have had a run book for all this and automated the whole thing that we had to do every day over and over? Um, I, I learned a ton from that experience. The, the crazy thing is after it was all over, we went to the commissioner's court and they're the ones who, you know, pay for everything. We said, well, hey, um, you know, can we get a real DR site now? You know, some kind of DR strategy. And uh, we were turned down um, because we actually ended up making money from, <laughs> from the city's insurance. Um, so that, that never happened. Then shortly after that, they came out and had the entire IT department. And we're talking, you know, 120 people that had worked really hard for in the heat, you know, to make all this stuff work, that there was a budget shortfall of uh, $70 million. And they were going to try really hard not to cut our pay. So that's when I started job hunting. Not a thought to uh, to cut judges, huh? <laughs> Yeah, it was that. That was wild. Um, after that, I went to um, or at, during that time, I'd started going to VMUG, um, and actually, the uh, some locals were running it. It was a, a pretty powerful VMUG, um, but I started started going to it more and more. Um, I, I changed jobs. I went to uh, CBRE, the real estate company, um, and that was another great place to work. Um, they had lots of great gear. Learned a ton from them. Um, while I was there, um, the the leader of the VMUG stepped down. That was in 2010. And so um, I was at the VMUG meeting, and he's like, does anybody want to take this over? And I was like, I raised my hand, and I was like, why am I raising my hand? 
anyways, I took it over and um, that, that was a huge learning experience. Um, the reason I did it at the time was I knew I needed to get better at public speaking, at speaking in front of, um, you know, the, the executives of whatever enterprise I was involved with. I needed to be more calm and rational about this kind of stuff because I would get pretty wound up. Um, and so I thought this would be a great way also to network um, and meet locals. Um, and it turned out to be hugely important for me later. But um, so I took that over uh, as I walked into the role at CBRE. Um, and so that was a great experience, Fortune 500 company, um, all sorts of great gear. They had um, an awesome IT department. So it was my first chance to really see a very large enterprise do it right. Now, don't get me wrong, they had all sorts of issues. I mean, everybody does. But I got to see at scale how, how it worked correctly. And um, one thing I really learned at that point was that no matter how good the IT shop is, there is this cycle of creative destruction. You build up an IT department, it's going to come down. Um, no matter how good a job you do, eventually people will leave, certain key individuals will go, bad decisions get made um, with tech, and then you know it'll it'll crater, and then you got to go through the rebuilding phase again and. You know, there's no reason to get upset over that. It just happens. Um, so I saw some of that there. Um, it wasn't too bad, though. But eventually, um, it, was, it was time to go, um, mainly because of the hours again. Um, I, I had started doing EUC by then. So we had a very large, we had over 2,000 developers uh, working on some stuff. And it was decided. EUC? End user compute. Oh my goodness. Wow. I've been out of VMware way too long. Apparently <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that is. Okay. And user computing. Got it. Got it. So we had over 2000 contractors working on software and they were, they were all um, H1B visa. Um, and they came and went really fast. So instead of provisioning laptops and all that, it was decided to go with, you know, this newfangled VDI stuff. Um, so this was, Boy, when a, a really early version of Vue, this would have been in 2010, somewhere around there. Um, I didn't really want to do it, um, but it turned out I was good at it because I knew Active Directory really well. I knew Active Directory group policy, which is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. If you've ever worked with it, it's just a mess. Um, and so, but, but having those two skills with learning VDI and knowing virtualization and storage and networking, um, you know, it all kind of come together. Um, and I thought it was, you know, a lot of, at the time everybody was saying, no, do cloud, do vCloud director. That's, that's where, you know, the smart guys go. I, I was telling people at the time, you want to see the highest expression of skill in, in being a, you know, an IT guy. Um, it's VDI. There is so much in there and it is such a mess. It's fun to do, you know, DevOps stuff. It's cool and sexy. Um, dealing with the users, and keeping them happy, I'm sorry. That's that takes a whole nother level of skill. Um, I I would think almost everybody would disagree with me, <laughs> but but uh, that's the way I felt about it at the time. I mean, so I I, I learned a bunch on it, but uh, I'd been having um, hip problems. That's why I'm on Twitter and V Hipster. I'd been having hip problems. I've had a lot of surgeries uh, to fix it, but. I'll never forget coming out of anesthetic and my boss calling 
like 20 minutes later with a giant VDI problem that I had to fix. I was like, man, can I like lay here for an hour and <laughs> recover from the surgery, you know, but no. Um, so, you know, that, that, that was a, another thing where I was working the hours again, but I, I got that exposure to VDI and really learned a lot. Um, and I, I knew it was time to go. So when I moved, um, when I left there, uh, I went to another company uh, that makes a product called uh, Wall Street Online uh, Market here in Dallas. That was, uh, they were using Lab Manager and um, it was actually awesome. I, I was really sad when Lab Manager eventually went. That was a, a great shop. I loved those guys. Um, but the job was too easy and after six months, it was too slow for me. Um, and then I finally went to work for Avar. So I went to work for Sigma Solutions, a value-added reseller here in Dallas. And that's, that's where I finally learned how to master the art of being, uh, you know, an administrator in SE. Um, and I would say it comes down to practice. There is nothing like going out and installing a vSphere environment over and over and over and over. Um, I got to where I was automating everything with PowerShell, you know, PowerCLI. Um, and, and all these skills that I had from previous jobs started coming into play, like bartending. I was, I bartended through college. Um, I, the skills I learned bartending probably helped me with consulting more than anything, believe it or not, just the getting along with people and, and helping upset people calm down. (laughs) That was pretty important. I was, I was going to ask if it was, you know, keeping multiple things in your head, like in queuing and DQing, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. your, your projects, but okay. But that, well, the, the people part, but also the queuing, you're right. Um, being able to take orders, you know, for like 20 people and keep it in your head and then, you know, get that process correctly. Um, yeah. So it, I mean, it, it helped train memory and all that kind of stuff, but, but more than anything else, it was while I, when I started doing consulting, it was the practice. I mean, I, you know, there's a great book. Um, I'll send you the link to it later, Nick, uh, called Mastery. Um, I can't remember the name of the right, of the author. I'll, I'll find it for you. Okay. But it, it just has a bunch of examples of uh, people who became masters of what they do. So, you know, Michelangelo. And, uh, there's a fighter pilot, um, an autistic lady who, did, who discovered a, a bunch of stuff in the veterinarian sciences. Um, they, the book just went through and and explained all these different um, types of people that have become masters at what they do, um, and the one that really stuck with me is the value of practice. Um, just going out there and actually practicing this stuff, I think a lot of times you know we're pressured to be instant um, geniuses at a lot of this stuff and just know the answer. Um, that's yeah, it's great that you can figure stuff out and be quick on your feet. Um, but the value of practice, I think, can't be understated. Is this the the author of the Forty Eight Laws of Power, um, Robert Greene? Does I that sound familiar? So. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I it's I think it tracks because you mentioned the the animal husbandry um, yep. expert Temple Grandin. Um, you found it. Yeah. Yeah, so I, if, if I was going to recommend one book to somebody in the start or the middle of their career, um, that would be a good one. I'm going to have to see if that's on Audible. That tracks. It is. 
even better. Uh, <laughs> it tracks with a, a lot of the, the stuff that we've read, like um, um, I would say Malcolm Gladwell's book. Uh, I want to say it was in Outliers where he talked about uh, practice. And then um, I want to say uh, The Talent Code, I think, is another one where we came up. It's The Malcolm Gladwell book talked about like the 10,000 hours of practice being kind yeah. of the key to mastery. And then I think Talent Code talked a little bit about how you actually need specific kinds of practice where you're catching mistakes and not practicing the mistakes and blowing by them. And you need coaching and you need something to like keep you, you know, to keep you going through those 10,000 hours. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the, the practice, like you just need at bats, right? Like in baseball, right? yeah. like if you're not taking swings, if you're not taking pitches, you're not um, getting better. And, um, I, the joke I always made was like, you know, if I, when I got my first, like, uh, um, uh, certified VMware certified professional, like I was like, you certainly did not want to hire me to install your VMware environment the next day. Like that was not, that was not in the cards. Well, it's funny because there's this weird, um, debate between, you don't have enough experience and you have all this education, but somebody has to give you a chance to gain experience. And I feel like that's exactly what you're talking about, Brad. Somebody gave you the chance to gain all that experience that you really needed to end up, you know, getting, getting enough to be able to consult with someone and say, yeah, I've done this a hundred times or I've done this 50 times. And this is exactly what's going to happen if you do it that way. That's it. Um, you know, now at, at this point in my career, I manage a lot of uh, SEs. And I'll tell you, there's a huge difference between somebody who comes out of college and becomes an SE, you know, come, you know, goes straight to work for, you know, one of the big manufacturers. There's a huge difference between the skill level of that person and the person who actually worked their way up through IT and actually did stuff in the old days. Uh, it's not that they're not... Um, you know, that one's clearly better than the other, anything like that. But there is a verisimilitude that um, somebody who has worked their way up has. And you can just hear it in their voice when they're, when they're talking to customers, when they're, when they're talking to their own board. Um, you, can, you can just tell they have that experience, um, you know, actually managing an environment with high stakes um, that maybe somebody straight out of college you know, going into it is not going to have. I, I, I'd highly encourage anybody fresh out of school, go take a really crappy job for six months. You'll you'll thank you'll thank me later. You know, go do the equivalent of an A plus technician. Go do that kind of break fix. In fact, you had somebody you had on previously, uh, Caitlin. Uh, love Caitlin. She's awesome. But uh, I believe she got her start at like uh, computer store, like. Geek Squad or something, I want to say something like that. Maybe that's Jacqueline Piaz in Houston, but but I, I just going and working those kind of tough, uh, lower tier jobs, I, I think will help your career. Well, the problem is in the IT industry and technology in general, we don't have like a formalized like apprentice journeyman master like kind of track where you can go. Oh, hey, we're looking for apprentices. Like we don't actually expect you to have any experience. We're going to train you, or we're looking for you know kind of like that journeyman level where you gained experience, you know, as an apprentice somewhere else. And now you're looking to kind of build out your portfolio of skills and, and track, 
you know, and gain knowledge from somebody else. And then, okay, now we're looking for like master level people. Like, you know, there's no real way to do that. Right. We don't, the closest thing we have is certifications and that really doesn't really track that system. No, no. And I, 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 you know, I get um, headhunters calling me all the time. uh, You know, they're saying this job role requires a VCTX. I'm like, there's like 300 of us. Like (laughs) they're really picky. (laughs) Um, You know, they, they barely know what it is. Uh, And I think everybody has, you know, employers in general have very unreasonable expectations of the skill level of of people. The fact is, you can't become a good, like, I don't know, EMC storage guy uh, until you've had a chance to work with a multi-million dollar array. And it's a job like that just doesn't come along. So you got to take a chance on people, um, you know, and not and don't get upset when they leave either. Um, you know, as long as they, you know, put in a good chunk of time, you know, um, you know, that's, that's part of the life cycle of, of somebody in the infrastructure side of this. Um, so, uh, another thing I wanted to bring up with you guys was the subject of pay. I don't think enough people in it talk about pay. Um, y'all familiar with, um, the law passed in 1935. Uh, it created the the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board. Um, all right, so I'm not like you know some uh, I'm not like a communist here saying we need to unionize and you know take over the industry. I you know I don't think that would ever take off. But there are some some things we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. First off, um, you can discuss how much you make at your company with the people you work with. Um, there is this thing that Americans in particular have where we've been conditioned that you never talk about how much you make. Uh, that only helps employers and hurts uh, employees. Um, I would encourage you, talk, talk to your coworkers, make a circle of trust and, and figure out how much folks are making. You know, you don't, you don't want to use that to, you know, start striking unless, you know, you get a raise, but at least you know what to ask for and you have an idea of what's possible. I don't think that happens enough. If I were an employer and I was trying to keep down pay in my employees, the first thing that I would do is try to create a cultural norm where it's kind of taboo to talk about how much you make. And yet (laughs) we all buy into that, right? So my current employer has a way, like kind of like um, uh, like an independent project where people can just voluntarily either explicitly or anonymously um, say how much they make and kind of it all goes into a giant like uh, spreadsheet and people can run analysis on that based on, you know, location and seniority and, and levels and things like that. And then you can, you know, just get this idea, like, am I, for my job in my area, you know, how am I doing? Right. And, uh, and what's fair. And there's, there's other resources out there. There's, um, uh, what is it? Glassdoor. You know, and that's like total, totally voluntary, but at least you can get an idea of what people across different companies in that area, like make for that job title. And, uh, you know, it's eye opening, you know, it certainly opened my eyes. And to your point, it's not a problem in different countries, seemingly, because I've heard people give similar feedback, Brad, where they have no problem talking about it with one another at work. And we just, in the United States, we just don't. It's an American thing. We're suckers. <laughs> so, you know, t- talk to your coworkers. Um, 
and heck, I when I first started at Dallas County, I was making eighty five thousand a year. That was the I was topped out on the civil service pay scale, um, right? And so as as I took each job, I I fought to get another ten or twenty k in there. Uh, believe it or not, getting VMware certified got me a twenty k you know jump, yeah, you because know, I was part of the requirement for for getting one job. Was that VCP um, or VCDX? If you don't mind me asking, VCP. Uh, just the VCP alone was enough to get like a twenty k pop. So. You know, certifications, I think, are still powerful um, in that regard because we have to have some judge of talent out there. But I don't think it's the be-all, end-all um, by any means. And there's a market for specific certifications too, right? Like like you mentioned, A-plus is kind of this entry level. Like, you know, there was a time when that was, you know, kind of mandatory, you know, gateway to get into like a, a forty or $50,000 job and it could kind of guarantee that, oh, you know, there's such a dearth of like – people who could like hands-on like fix a computer, you know, that, you know, people get, get paid, you know, forty fifty thousand $50,000 to do that. Now the market for that has gone away, but it just depends on, you know, what people are looking for in the market. Like what's important, you know, is it VMware? Is it cloud? Is it security? Is it, you know, whatever it is, you know, there's probably some kind of certification in it that people actually care about um, and uh, can be used to kind of boost your, credibility in that area now you still need to be able to do the thing right oh yeah it's the there's the paper certification problem yeah but i i love uh you know robert heinlein uh the sci- sci-fi writer um had a dictum that specialization is for insects um right <laughs> don't specialize in in one little area because you know it's going to change i mean like right now a lot of people are doing you know going crazy over cloud certifications I would say it's probably too late <laughs> for that to make a, a huge difference. Um, you know, when I, when I worked at Dallas County, one of my favorite people there was a, a guy named Roy, and he was the last mainframe guy. Um, and everybody was always saying they're going to shut down the mainframe. Uh, no, <laughs> as far as I know, that thing's still running, right? Um, you know, the, the models change. We, you know, when we go distributed and then centralized and... Um, things constant, you'll notice as your career gets longer that, you know, you'll start to see patterns, you'll start to see rhythms and, um, you know, don't get caught up in what's happening right now, because by the time you get, you know, sped up on it, uh, it's probably too late. So think about what's coming next over the next, you know, three to five years, um, and start building a network of contacts through things like VMUG so that you can get the opinions of others on, you know, what's coming, what they're seeing, that kind of thing. This sounds exactly like something Manny Sadu said in his previous episodes. He mentioned he really liked going after certifications, but pick something that allows you to ride that wave, like you said, that wave of demand so that you can be trained up on it and it can be extremely relevant to help you get to that next step in your career. And if I may, Brad, I want to share a story about VMUG uh, while you were the leader. So... You were mentioning the pay bump because of a VCP. So I was sitting at the Dallas VMUG, probably like 2014, if I had to guess. And I heard you give that talk to everybody, encouraging them to get a VCP. And I and I came home and I told my wife about it because you, you had mentioned the classes at a local college that you could do on a, on a Saturday. And it wasn't as expensive as the official classroom you know, that you could get directly from VMware. It was, uh, it was for people who were working and doing it on their own. And uh, she could tell I was super excited. She's like, 
you got to do it. And so I, I did that. I got the VCP and I honestly, I wouldn't be here at working where I'm working today if I hadn't done that. Oh, that's awesome. I, I'm interested to hear about, you know, your take on kind of the certification train, right? Because there is that always that entry level certification, but you mentioned that you eventually got the VCDX. It was just kind of the terminal certification that you can get at v, you know in VMware technology. I mean, there's five or six steps, you know, in between, you know, the first one you can get and and that. What what was that process like? What what drove you towards that? Did it have something to do with your employer? No, um, that. So, so at the time I, you know, was, was a VMUG leader and I had met other VCDXs and I had heard them talk and they were some of the smartest people I've ever met. Um, and not only were they, you know, supremely gifted technologists, um, their communication skills were, you know, great. Um, and they had a wide variety of, um, you know, platforms, you know, some of them were just on Twitter or something like that, but. Um, you know, some of them blogs, some of them wrote books, um, and there was just people I bumped into that were, um, you know, I wanted to get to their level, right? I wanted to get to that level of expertise. Um, and so the, the VCDX seemed like a mountain to climb to make myself get better at what I do so that I could get there. And it was, it was not, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, it was not easy when, uh, when I did pass. Um, you know, you go, you go defend in front of a panel. I actually had to fly out to Palo Alto, um, and walk in there. And, um, Simon Long was one of the guys. And if, uh, you know who that is, he's, you know, one of the biggest VDI guys, you know, ever, um, he's the one, you know, judging my design <laughs> for, for a VDI VCDX. But I, um, I went through that process and I defended my design um, and I'm, I believe I was the last one to have a um, troubleshooting section. Um, they, they later removed that. So I, I, I went, I think I was the last one that had to do that. But I, uh, I, I got the call a couple of days later that I passed and I called my wife and told her and she started crying. She was so relieved. But um, I, I met some of the greatest people on that journey. Um, you know, we did study groups at night. So I and so we would do mock defenses, and I was on a WebEx every night, you know, you know once or twice a week, um, you know, for, for months and months and months with a bunch of other, you know, really smart guys. So um, I, you know, I learned a ton throughout that entire process. Um, I learned humility. I'll, I'll tell you, that, that's number one, learning humility, learning what you don't know, and the going through that process, I found, I, I finally discovered how much I didn't know. And I, I think that really helped. Um, I always wanted to be the guy that had the answers, you know, in front of customers or, you know, in front of, um, you know, the C-level staff at the company I was at. Um, and I learned, no, that's not good. It's okay to say you don't know something. You know how to find out though, or you know the right smart person. Um, but that, that was a great experience going through the BCDX. Um, I'm glad I did it. There only ended up being, I think, like 25 uh, VDI VCDXs so far. Not There's not very many of us. Now, how long from deciding you wanted to pursue the VCDX to actually, okay, I've passed the panel? Oh, how long? Um, gosh, three and a half years. Three and a half. Um, because I did it once and failed. I failed miserably. 
I didn't understand what I was doing yet. I didn't understand the format. I didn't understand what the rubric was. Um, you know, I, I didn't know anybody yet that had gone through something like that who could look at my paper and point out my mistakes. Um, so I didn't have that rigor behind it. So I deservedly um, failed the first time, but I kept at it um, and kept studying, you know, and, and kept learning. I passed most of the VCAPs. I think I think I passed all of them at one point, um, you know, and just kept studying and learning enterprise architecture. I mean, that's it. So learning the art of being an enterprise architect. Um, I don't think it's emphasized enough these days anymore, um, just because the mark, the rate of change has been so fast. But a lot of the things that you know we should be thinking about as an enterprise architect, I don't think are discussed enough. Um, we don't talk about OPEX and CAPEX enough. We don't talk about design qualities. Um, we don't talk about um, you know the illities, scalability, and and all that stuff at that conceptual and logical design level. I don't I don't think we do that as much as we used to and as much as we should. If that makes and sense. that design you submitted is like hundreds of pages with diagrams and explanations that someone has to review that you built, right? Yeah. So it, it's a it's very it's basically every every little setting that you could possibly have. Um, you you have to have um, you know a security design and network design and and all the different pieces. And for a VDI environment, um, you know, there's end user acceptance. There's lots of pieces like that. How are you going to virtualize the applications and deliver them to the desktops? Um, nowadays, it's a lot easier than it was back then. Um, you know, it's really come a long way. But that was, yeah, it was it was a challenge to write all that. Um, and but it it was worth it in the end. I you know I got better at at my job and everything. Um, and I met a lot of cool people along the way. That that's probably the most important thing. That's fascinating. I you know I, I've wondered about it. I. Maybe I just don't have the fire in the belly anymore, but maybe I'll find it. Um, you know, maybe if not for that, then something else. But it is interesting that, you know, throughout what it is that, you know, we do in sales engineering, you know, that kind of abstract skill of enter enterprise architect architecture is not really emphasized and not really thought about that much. It's really strange, actually. Enterprise architecture is about managing complexity, right? And, and reducing the burden of that complexity. And when you're in sales, you want to make it seem easy. <laughs> and it's, it's a lie. It's not true. It's not easy. Um, you know, nothing's easy if you don't walk into it uh, with the right mindset and walk in with your eyes wide open. Um, so, you know, if, I, if there's a young aspiring um, SE you know, listening to this, hopefully there's a couple... Um, and you're like, ah, oh, what do I do? I'm, you know, I'm a desktop tech or I'm in a call center, you know, I'm doing that, that really basic stuff. Um, go out there and, and do take some of the certifications. TOGAF, uh, the open group architectural framework, free, absolutely free. You can go watch the whole thing online and it's a $125 pro metric exam. Um, but it will make you learn, uh, the basics of enterprise architecture, um, and if you do that along with, you know, increasing your skills at storage or networking or, or whatever it is you're into at the time, um, you will be better at your job because you will be able to tie the tech back to the supporting the business, 
which is really what this is all about. If you can't talk to the business um, and how IT is helping the business, then you're of no use to anybody. Um, just doing tech for its own sake is useless. Oh, you end up just being the break-fix person in a lot of cases. Yeah, that's that's it. And uh, I, I've known a, a lot of people that uh, that are still stuck at kind of at that level, at that break-fix level, because... Um, you know, they, they don't like change. That's another thing. You have to be willing to accept change in your life. Um, for a lot of people, their career is like a weighted blanket. You know, they, they, it's, a, it's comfortable and it's soothing and you got this day-to-day and you got this job that you do and, and it's very comforting. Um, you got to be willing to get out of your comfort zone and all this stuff. Um, and, and do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do and be very uncomfortable and feel stupid. That's a, if you feel stupid a couple of times a day, then you're probably in the right place because you're learning from, from smart people around you. How you're, you're ticking all our boxes, right? If you're, if you're comfortable, you're not growing. It's like that's he read the bingo card in advance, John. That's right. <laughs> and we didn't even share it. Nerd Journey Bingo. We actually should uh, print out a formal Nerd Journey bingo card at some point. There you go. I'll, yeah, send me a copy, Nick. That'd be that'd be awesome. Have to start sending that out along with stickers. So that that was the VCDX journey, um, you know. So I went to consultant, did that for a long time, and then a week after I found out I passed the VCDX, I got a call from a guy named Sean Howard, who was another VCDX. He's like, "Hey, uh, you heard about Nicira, right?" And I was like, "Of course." It's like, you want to come do NSX? I was like, at VMware? And he's like, yeah. It's like, okay. That's kind of my dream job, man. Um, you know, I, at that point, I had been a V expert for years. I had worked at Avar for years doing VMware stuff. Um, let me backtrack real fast. You might even want to cut this. There's one thing about certifications that um, I think everybody deserves to know before I move on. Um, there are people that work at VARs who hold certifications just so that the VAR gets a certain discount level with the manufacturer. And I find that practice abhorrent. Um, I, at, at one point, uh, I, knew, I knew a person. Uh, it was basically in December, he would bust his tail passing exams, and then he didn't do anything else the rest of the year. Right? You mean so, at and, all? And he made good money too. Oh wow! Yeah. So if you're a customer out there and and you're using a VAR, um, VARs are great. Don't get me wrong, um, but make sure the the guy who shows up is knows more about the subject matter than you do. Um, that's not always the case. A lot of times, they're reading some documentation and talking to you, and if they don't want you seeing their laptop or. <laughs> Those are huge warning signs. Like, you know, fi- find out what they really know and make sure they're not a paper tiger. Um, that still goes on to this day. And I'm not even talking about like VMware certs. I'm talking about all of them. Um, you know, Cisco or EMC or any of it. Um, lots of people do that. So watch out for it. Now, that's true of any partner program. Like all partner programs essentially mandate that like partners of a certain level, the higher up you go, in the partner program, the better your discounts and maybe the better support and investment you get from the vendor. But the more investment the partner is supposed to put in getting, you know, certified personnel on staff. 
So I, I do like, I understand the idea behind it, right? Like, oh, in order to be like the diamond level partner, I don't know if that's an actual partner level, but in order to be the diamond level partner, that means you theoretically have like, you know, seven people on staff with this level of expertise, but it, it does drive like a bad, um, you know, you can get bad actors that just hire those people just to have that cert on staff. Gamification. Um, yeah. Gamification. Yep. That's it. You know, so buyer beware. Um, you know, and that's why like using the, the, the manufacturer's professional services, um, a lot of times can be a lot safer, but you know, there's a premium you pay for that. Um, if you're going to use you know, Cisco's PSO or I, or VMware's PSO, um, you are getting, you know, really smart folks, you know, that are experts, but there's definitely a premium. I think the best analogy I've ever heard you use was calling the manufacturer's PSO SEAL Team 6. <laughs> Love that. That's it. That's it. Um, yeah, I mean, they they just, just like I said, they, they've had the practice and they've had, um, um, you know, the, the hours. That's, that's all there is to it. But I'm sorry, I, I digressed. So back to Sean Howard calling me after I got the VCPX. career path that Brad talked about that maybe we don't oftentimes consider. If you want to work with a bunch of different companies providing technical services or expertise that those companies don't have, but also making yourself super technical in the process, a consultant could be the way to go. And oftentimes that's a post-sales position. So you're given a statement of work, a specific scope that you're you're going to help this customer with a specific task. Maybe, maybe it's configuring firewalls, setting up a VDI environment, for example, could be any number of things, but I think we heard some good feedback on what the challenges are for people who work at a company in it and what hesitancies they might have working with a consultant. So one thing you can do if you're a consultant or someone in a professional services organization is be helpful and make sure and share that knowledge you have with the customer you're helping. And hopefully it helps them get better, assuming they're, they're willing to, to take that feedback. I've seen people go and work for value-added resellers, like Brad mentioned, to do professional services type things. I've also seen people start their own consulting firm because they were doing some moonlighting to help different companies on the side and it turned into a business. Uh, that kind of happened for Tom Delicati, if you remember back in our, he was actually the first person we interviewed on Nerd Journey. So it it's a career path for sure. Another interesting tidbit in there was talking about pay. How many people have you actually talked to about how much you make in your lifetime? At least in America, just like we called out, it's not really something that we do very often and it's, it feels wrong to do it at times for whatever reason. But Brad made some good points. Maybe it's time we be more open with that. And then the last thing, that journey to VCDX. I know that that's a big deal type of certification. There are many other industry certifications that are 
challenging to get like that, but it wasn't getting the cert specifically that gave Brad the experience he needed. It was prepping for it. All the feedback he got from peers, collaborating with other people, building his network, going through that experience, that practice, that learning process is super important. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for more. I can't wait to hear what happens next week. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm not John White, at V Journeyman. I'm Nick Cordy, signing off.